Hey folks, um, welcome to the first episode of Finance Scams in a long, long time. The last time we had an episode was probably last year, I think in June. Uh, kind of to put the podcast on like a hiatus because of, um, I guess, other things popped up, like a lot of my work with the FTM Alerts Discord um, really took up a lot of my time. Plus, at that time, it was like really hard to line up, to line up guests. So I was like, okay, I need to retool the podcast and like figure out like what it's going to be about now. And so I did that. One month turned into six. And um, here we are now. So I have a new co-host. Um, he's like, he was the first guest from the last um, edition of the podcast. Um, please welcome, you know, Satch, the Discord chart guy. Say hi to everybody. What's up, guys? All right. He said hi. And our first guest for the podcast is the one and only, you know, possibly the uh, greatest Web3 developer of all time. Um, I definitely think that Andre would probably agree with that, um, given the amount of coordinates he's made to um, solid, solidly. Um, Justin Silver. And yeah, say hi to everybody. Nice. Yeah, I mean, po possibly the greatest developer, Web3 developer. <laughs> but, uh, we'll have I mean, I feel that uh, you've definitely um, stepped up to the plate big there. Um, I'm sure Andre is very happy about your presence. He's probably expecting a lot more out of Danny. He's not going to get any of that out of Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean, is he even a developer, though? That's, I'm not even clear on some of this stuff. Uh, no, he's like a hype man. That's what I, I always, I thought he was like the you know, fishing hype man or whatever. I don't know. I it's I, I know it's a lot less about a lot of this stuff than maybe I should or people think I do. That's I fair. just see like Twitter and you know, <laughs> more like a hype guy. Yep. The community the community man who builds communities and builds up frog nation. That's standing. Yeah. You know, and like that it takes it takes that kind of personality sometimes. Like that is the difference that that you know, can you can have a good idea, and if nobody's good at promoting it, then it doesn't go anywhere. And you can have a bad idea, and someone can be good at promoting it, and it goes somewhere. So, right, you know. exactly, exactly, which definitely ties into the topic of today, which is going to be more of a response to a lot of the big critiques out there about the NFTs and like the NFT space in general right now. Uh, I'd say, like, right now, the NFT space in general could use work. Um, it's not quite where it wants to be or not quite where it should be. But I feel like um, the criticism of it has been getting some steam. And I feel like one video in particular is often used by um, detractors in general. Um, it's the video by Dan Olson, Line Goes Up. Um, it's generally basically one guy who um, stands in front of the screen um, basically goes does voiceovers and he's very angry about NFTs and cryptocurrency in general and um, he definitely makes some big bold and um, how shall we say um, bad claims about him um, well, it felt like it It felt like I watched the, the I would say majority of it um, but it, it felt like um, investigative journalism youtube style um where like he had a conclusion that he wanted to reach and then the research that was done concluded the conclusion that he wanted right. um you, it, like i think when we were discussing some of this before like if, when you watch it when you read a lot of articles about things that people are critiquing about the NFT space. And I think this is actually true when you say any, you know, blank space. critiques mm -hmm. um, about it are often rooted in some amount of truth. And therefore, like, if you don't sort of zoom out and give context or the full picture, um, then you're not necessarily telling the full story either. So it's easy. It is. That's why I feel like it's sort of like almost like anti-NFT propaganda. Like, you can make videos that, um, well, like, are very convincing and because they're, they're like, true, and there is a lot of hype around stuff, and a lot right. of it's not necessarily designed that well. But 
and you know we were talking about this a few minutes ago it's sort of like with electric cars or with digital cameras or with a lot of newer technology before there's um, good usable implementation some people will kind of see the future of it and work on it with you know mobile applications the first ones were not good if you think about like the iPhone didn't really even have them you could like have a web page and then a lot of the the early ones were terrible and now you know mobile mobile apps are a you know considerable part of the the development space and software sales and you know all that stuff so it does take time to implement something that is that is usable and part of how i look at a lot of these projects is they are experiments in new technology and that is sort of art in of itself if even if it is an art nft project there is something i was a little bit i was definitely more skeptical and, mm -hmm. and felt differently before i worked on some of them yep um, there is a lot of work that goes in. I mean, there's definitely people who can put low effort right. thing into anything. Right. But if you if somebody does care, like you can put a lot of effort into making, you know, even if it's a generative project, yeah. not like one of ones, like you can put a lot of effort into creating the component images and how they're constructed, not just right. technically, but like the artistic color palettes that you want each one to be constructed and honestly it is kind of cool to think about this when i, I didn't think about it until i did it but the meshing of like a human making this art and then a mm -hmm. randomness of a computer making this set of things yep. which is definitely artificial scarcity but it's also the whole thing is sort of an experiment in an art project and it there is this like art component but there's a community component to it and there's often some new thing that this project is trying to do and it might be a terrible idea and it might totally not work mm -hmm. out as is the case with lots of projects and businesses and new ideas um it might not work out and someone right. else picks it up and, and makes a better version of it that works out uh, but that's that's I'm what i'm really interested in the kind of stuff that you're talking about because um i don't know a whole lot about how these nfts are actually created like I know a lot about the technology, you know, distinctiveness of digital content and uniqueness and things. Well, um, but uh, the actual process of how they're getting constructed is something that I've not looked at. I've not had a lot of exposure to. So it's interesting for me to get that perspective. Um, at well, least it, it, it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about. It's yeah, yes. And maybe a little bit no, because there, there's like NFT is really a very generic term. So um, an NFT in non, it's non fungible token. It's a type of token like an ERC twenty token. Um, if you're buying Wrap ETH or Wrap Phantom, it's an ERC twenty. Yep. Like you know, it's a, these this are all the all the stuff that I do know about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. It's all these are all just smart at the at the core. They're just smart contracts, and they happen to implement certain functions that make them these different types of tokens. When you're an NFT, all it is is a fundamentally a number in an index. So maybe you you cap it at three thousand or ten thousand, or maybe there is none, and it just you can keep creating right. new ones forever, like solidly, or you know, theoretically forever kind of thing. Um, it really doesn't. There, there isn't a. It doesn't have to be ten thousand monkeys. Um, all it means is that it's a unique number, and then you can use right. that number to represent other things because you you have ownership of that number, and you can transmit that to transfer it to somebody else. Um, and so now they have it, and that might point to off-chain metadata mm -hmm. that points to an off-chain image that somebody can delete. Um, one big thing that a lot of people, all of the people critiquing IPFS, yep. um, the yep. piece of it that they are missing is that when you upload something to IPFS, it takes the files that you're uploading and hashes them and computes the CID of where that is located. And if any piece of it changes, if you change the text in the metadata file or any of the views of an image or anything like that, then it's going to change that CID so it would be hosted at a different place. So yes, somebody could unpin it or somebody could not be pinning it and the project could stop pinning it and it could go away, but they can't swap it out. 
you can do tricks to swap it out. You could point it to a centralized server. There's like use cases for that. But my point is sort of that there's a lot of these critiques are fo focused on an art project using a centralized server to right. host a JPEG of a monkey and ignoring the fact that it could be represent like like one of the things i've been working on a lot mm -hmm. is um and so this is it's i've been using it now all these like finance projects want to use code from mouse nfts which are it's an art it's project. Like your first project yeah yeah but like the whole idea that i've been putting into it is that the mouse has a wallet and you can put things in that wallet and one of the things that's going to happen is like some of the nf you can put nfts into this nft wallet and then the nft that has them in the wallet can wear the things that are in its wallet so it's that's the like art aspect of it um but underneath it it's a token id that goes into constructing this unique mm -hmm. address that can internet interact with the blockchain um so i can set permissions on a contract for that address to do something and then transfer that token ID to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And now I've transferred permission to do something um, to that person. I can, I can represent access or ownership or, or um, different things through this token ID that I can transfer around instead of it being tied to a specific address. So it's in a way, I think the more interesting use of NFTs is it's an abstraction layer to other things that people are doing with cryptocurrency and blockchain right. technology. Um, but I also think some of the like, you know, I'm doing like on-chain creation of metadata to represent underlying financial assets of an NFT, yep. but I'm copying code from an art project that lets a mouse wear a funny hat. <laughs> you know, with, right. So like the art project is an art project and like, I, hopefully people like it and are having and like have fun with the community and all that stuff. But it also is like represents like a fun way to experiment with new technology that might have applications other places. And I have actually been cutting and pasting from some of the stuff mm -hmm. I've done in it into other well-known phantom DeFi projects. Right. Like I feel in general, like code, um, I feel like it's often like a common misunderstanding amongst, um, I guess, like a lot of the detractors in that they do see like people like copying and pasting code and using other places. And they're kind of like, well, this is just lazy programming, like no real programmer would do this. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is often something you would see in the programming space. It's like, it's well, really open avoided. source code, you know, yeah. um, Ethereum is open source code. So the very, the very, you can look at it and do stuff with it and change it. I, um, I started programming a really long time ago. Like I, I learned JavaScript like a few months after it came out. Um, but one of the first programming, lang programming languages I used professionally was Perl. Mm -hmm. And so I bought the O'Reilly book like way back in the day. I have that book. I have that book. Yeah. And it, so at the very beginning of it, Larry Wall like has the little Ford or whatever and talks about how he made Perl because he was like too lazy to do the reports by hand and that like a good programmer is a little bit lazy because underlying all of this is the desire to not have to do anything. Um, and I thought that was I kind of a programmer funny. and my goal is to get to that point. <laughs> but uh, and it's it, take a long time. And that's sort of the underlying, like one of the like ideas with open source technology is like, look, here's a thing that like people need to do and we did it pretty well. So like other people can make it better, but like why start from scratch? And there are reasons to to like keep it secret and stuff, but for some stuff you're just like, you know what, I would prefer to have this developer spend time writing some like weird nuanced okay. thing instead of having to like redevelop an authentication system. Right. Uh, right. And so you're just like, here's an uh, here what here's the authentication system or systems that we want to use and like people can keep making them better. But um, but you're not going to force people to like waste time. Like if everybody had to do that, like everyone's going to spend all their time doing that. Right. Um, but by making yeah. libraries code available, you keep getting to iterate and like building on what other people made. And like part of it too is like I made the joke that you like I don't mind publishing. One, I sort of feel like you have to publish contract code. You don't have to have to, but like mm -hmm. there is sort of an expectation to do it. But then in this space, because it's new and because you should be innovating, 
like I don't mind releasing stuff because like I'm working on new stuff that's that's like an improvement on the stuff that's on the blockchain. Like you can't the like new cool stuff you can't see yet because I haven't finished it, and I'll be done with it, and then you can see it. But then I'll be working on something else. Right. So. Right. Right. So I remember like yeah. one major criticism of um, Olsen's in the video was he kept on the hammering over and over again about how he felt like smart contracts were like bad design. Um, he felt like they were, they were generally just not useful. Um, they were prone to bugs. And in general, like a lot of the code was just shoddy. And he definitely- Don't disagree. Them. Don't disagree with him. <laughs> it's, it's not, like I was saying, like all this stuff is like true. You don't live in a perfect world. Though, right. You know? Right. And like the language is maybe harder than it should be for some of the people that are trying to do it. But like, who's really to make that judgment? Like it is, it, that's just sort of like, that's like a being a Luddite and just being like technologies can be used for evil or whatever. We shouldn't use any technology. It's, I think it's easier to do with crypto because crypto is so difficult. The, the barrier for entry is so for understanding blockchain. That's just taking the current. With like people and NFTs. It's taking that's just the current market, though. Also, like that's saying that, like, just because people don't like there's all this stuff is just turned into a meme of doing your own research and all that stuff. Like, nobody, and it's not like people can't look at the contract code, but like they have to throw their money into it before anyone can look at it because otherwise they're, they're going to miss the 10,000 percent pump. And like, that's not going to last. Yeah. So, like, yes, it is a problem now that, like, somebody can write a malicious contract and nobody looks at it and, like, takes advantage of people who don't know any better than throwing their money into it. But that doesn't mean that the underlying technology is bad. That just means that exactly. the market conditions and, like, like that, that definitely happens. But, like, if you get audits, yes, you could still have exploits, but there are, there is code that becomes more trusted. There is, there, the ideas behind, how um, smart contracts and you know how they interact with the blockchain, all that stuff does have value. I feel like yeah. an important distinction is between the technology and the way that markets work, because the markets and the technology are two different things. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I would, I, I participate in the markets, and I do so because I believe in the. Uh, well, I, first of all, I believe in my ability to navigate them, and I believe in the technology. Um, but it, it's it's a very different thing from like just dismissing the technology because of those markets. Um, you know, I have a lot of issues with NFTs, and a lot of them just lie on the side of human behavior, which has more to do with the markets than it does with the technology. And it can't help but be influenced by when I, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but like one of my theories about why art NFTs are sort of a get some of the hype right now is because they act they are one of the few things that it's it's easy to spend your crypto on. Right. Like you can you can put it into farming and dexes and stuff like that, but like you there's not that many things that you can buy with your your um crypto and and you know art is one of them and art is very subjective and the value of it is very subjective and I, that's the other thing i've noticed is when you hear about um you know people like how much did the the people's thing sell for that went for like 69 million but um... right and well so that's the the reason i wanted you to say that because you're talking about us dollars right, right? right how like the thing is is like you don't like the person who bought it how much should they spend in Ethereum, how much do they have in their wallet and how much do they acquire that Ethereum for? So right. it's all sort of relative. Like if I have $300 million or, you know, a billion dollars and I spend that this much, like maybe I didn't actually spend that much to acquire. It doesn't take like the full, full picture into the context. And some of the people who spend a lot of money in US dollars on this digital art acquired their digital currency for a lot less than the current value but you're getting the quote in the current value not like right like to them they they you know maybe didn't actually 
spend fifty thousand dollars on this thing they were like yeah i actually originally got that for a couple bucks so right not that big of a deal right and then sometime down the road they're like oh there's a lot of money that i have left so the first pizza that the bitcoin pizza or whatever that somebody paid ten thousand bitcoin for right right but um, like if they hadn't paid ten thousand bitcoin for the bitcoin pizza then like no one would ever have done other things with bitcoin you know butterfly effect of the you know crypto it's never pearl of value yeah <laughs> but it, it's like all of these like all of this is like steps in the whole thing and i think part of it is like one of the things i think is interesting about nfts uh, and I know like one of the critiques is about wash trading and about money laundering. Yeah. And I'm sure that some of that stuff goes on, but I also definitively know that there are legitimate artists who are getting paid more money in crypto than they ever got paid for their art in fiat. And so at least some of this is a redistribution of crypto to people who like didn't have it before and compensating them for a thing that they weren't really being compensated for before. So there is definitely positive things that are coming out of it. Um, and even in like, you know, who's, who's making the money right. Um, right. aspect, but it, there's definitely like, there's so much trash and scams and like, yep. I, I don't buy, like, I don't really buy enough. He's, um, I don't really, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is cool. And like, I, I would rather like help a project and participate in it in that sort of i i like actually i'm more here for the tech i guess but um it's you know i think there are a lot of people in this space that truly are and um there there seems to be a disconnect between these two camps which was noted in that article that uh we shared um like a lot of them are just not even aware that there's this much hate for the other side. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And um, there, so it's very interesting to me because there's not a lot of things left on the internet like that. And I think maybe that that uh, high barrier of entry is part of that because if you can't understand something, it's harder to hate it. But um, yeah, or maybe it's easier. Yeah, <laughs> it's like if you. If you're depending on the picture that you're painted, it is like exactly, exactly. Dumb. Um, and a lot of it is objectively dumb. But the other, the other thing that I've, you know, I've sort of had my talking points a little bit. But like, <laughs> I know of like places in San Francisco and really like anywhere, like any, uh, you know, loungy bar, like hangout spot, or like fancy gym or town club mm-hmm. or country club, people pay lots of money to go like hang out with people that they don't actually know. And the only reason they are hanging out there is because they also paid to hang out there. So to some <laughs> extent, like how is that different than board apes having like a party for people that bought a picture of a monkey? If the, if like these people are having fun and like, they're getting to go do stuff that like makes them value their thing. It's it, it like that's as long as like, everyone's up front and like knows what they're mm-hmm. getting into. Like, I don't see where the scam is there or else like lots of things are going to be scams. Cause like people pay what I think are absurd amounts of money to do lots of stuff, but mm-hmm. people have different things that they value. Like I like, you know, baseball cards, they're sort of just like accepted to be worth more if they're old. And it was some like really good rookie player. Right. And, like everyone is just like, okay with that being worth a lot. But when you really think about it, it's a piece of cardboard you know, heavy paper or whatever. It's not actually worth millions of dollars, or is it? It's, you know... Totally it's worth what somebody will give you for it. Totally. And that's how I feel about a lot of this stuff, is like, yeah, like, one person might think it's not worth it at all, but if somebody else, like, really enjoys the community and, like, the different um, events that are getting, like, being, being, like, and storyline and stuff that are being generated around this, you know, digital thing that they bought, and like that's why they're participating in it. Like, I don't know why that's necessarily so bad. I and like, but again, there's you could critique proof of work now and say like, well, it's destroying the environment. But there's also blockchains that don't do that. Yep. So, yeah, yep. it's gone beyond uh, rational thought. Is kind of how I feel about it. And I, I mean, I, and again, like, and I'm, I'm sure just, that there are people I that agree with you know, you can talk points. Yeah, it's not 
not giving the full picture. Right, right. Like, I definitely feel like um, when he makes points about the communities, um, like when you're talking about how, like, I guess um, people aren't really, um, like, why are you, like, I mean, they're having fun with it, they're enjoying the story, you know, they're enjoying the community, like, why should we be against it? Um, I know that often, like, the way that crypto detractors, or I guess the NFT detractors in particular, they often tend to, like, address it as, like, toxic positivity. And they say that these are just people being toxically positive to maintain like, a great community because at the end, the only thing they really care about is the NFT and selling it and like unloading it. Um, and I find that to be a um, very unusual critique in that at that point, I think you're basically just looking for something to hate. Um, and so you found it. And so like the target things like good morning, good night. And you're like, oh, this is just part of the entire scam here. You know, yeah. Make sure it's being able to paint with a broad brush. You know, it's it's uh, saying the whole batch of potatoes is bad because a lot of them are rotten. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, as we saw with like Olson's approach, he literally went dumpster diving. Um, and I know he says that, hey, I found just as many good projects as I did bad projects. Yeah, dumpster diving, but. Uh, well, and, and again, like these are all though critiques of i think like this the current market environment in which there is this hype and it's like the tulip craze or whatever and like people have, and like most of these things are not going to be worth anything long term but some of them probably will be just for their historic value and where they were in in some of this transition and you know i right. could be wrong maybe it, maybe all of this like goes to zero or whatever right. but like at the same time like I, I there is for sure hype around some of this stuff, mm -hmm. and I am also sometimes frustrated with people who expect like the reason that they're minting something is because they're buying it for one, and they are supposed to be able to sell it for ten, and anything less than five is unacceptable. And you know, it's like that's I'm like you're not I'm not like just handing you money or like I would just mint these to myself and sell them or something like. At, or uh, you know it's like it's it, there should be like some more to it than just flipping it for like some profit or else like it doesn't it literally doesn't make any sense to me which is why like i do keep working on the stuff that i've i've like worked on and keep trying to come up with like new stuff to right. keep innovating on with some of them um because part of what i like part of how i look at it is some of what the like you're you're minting an nft to help fund a team do stuff that you think is fun right like it, it's like a different way like in some it's people get really hung up on like all of crypto has to be about making money um but it doesn't have to be all money right uh, so right. and i think i i but again like yeah like there's tons of scams you can like all of the critiques are like valid but there's you know why is this different than like you know, paying to participate in other other things that people like to participate in. I don't. I'm not like necessarily saying that you should buy any NFT or that mm -hmm. it's going to go up in value or anything like that. But at the same time, as long as people are, I mean, maybe this is the more libertarian part of me that's less less liberal or whatever. But like, mm -hmm. it's like I think if people have all the information, they know what they're getting into. It's like making them happy to participate in this project. Like I don't, I don't really see that much harm in that. Right. I, I would, I would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the technological use and the market value aspects are kind of inextricably linked because um, people are putting money into the cryptocurrencies because they either want to invest in it, they believe in the technology. You know, what for whatever reason, this is the value that. And the market is just people buying and selling from each other. Yeah. So well, it, you could say the same thing about dollars, you know? Um, yeah. People are drawn to do unsavory things to get dollars because dollars are worth something. The reward for scamming people out of dollars is dollars. And, for scamming people and, and there's also, money. like, the only use for dollars is not just finance and, like, putting it into a loan and... Um, you know, just putting it into providing capital to something else. Like people do buy art and like do think things that are recreational. Um, yeah, 
Like to some extent, I think people are getting involved in cryptocurrency because they think it it has value in like a new monetary system that people will eventually adopt. Or yeah, that really like that. that meme has been around forever. It's but so it doesn't. It doesn't have. I was about to say, but it doesn't ever have to be that because mm-hmm. it can also like just the value as a distributed ledger. There yeah. is something there, and that's part of what it's we're technology. <laughs> now you're using. You can use an NFT to do do other things and and represent this abstraction layer um, to do things and interact with other contracts and like log into a website or whatever. But it does like you actually do have ownership over it, and they. It, to some extent, because like you can, it's just the, the smart contracts are programming. Like, if yeah. you program in there that someone can't transfer it, then they can't. But if you program in that they can, then they can. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where some of the value is. Of you do, if the contract says you own this token, you do own it, and you can sell it and transfer it to somebody else. And it might represent something in a game, and somebody else might mm-hmm. make it represent something in a game, or right. maybe it's a game and it like lets you log into a website, or you know, they could have multiple uses. It's really just a number that represents something else. Um, right. And so that's where, where people get really hung up on the art, like that this number represents this art, yep. when the they're like missing the the point that it's taking a number and abstracting it to represent something else, and so. How you do that now is starting to expand into lots of other domains like finance and um, games and stuff like that. Yep, yep. Um, kind of find it interesting in that um, I know this wasn't like Olson's critique, but this is often a critique that other people have launched in that they uh, often like say like NFTs are just like receipts, and I feel like that's false. Um, it's not really a receipt. I mean, NFTs are just like non-fungible tokens. And um, just all that means is just like one unique token. And a token, I mean, well, on Ethereum is just like a smart contract. Yeah. I mean, and again, like that's just, uh, you're like, yes, it, it's, you could say that like you've paid to mint it and the thing you got back was this number that proved that you paid for it. So it's a receipt. Yeah. So yeah. It's, but then like that, it, it it misses the point that a receipt is actually not that useful. Like, yes, you can take it to the store if you need to return something to prove that you bought it, but like, you don't have See, much. This is why I want them to be better. Yeah. <laughs> I, right. want well, have, I want them to be actual content. Even if you're just looking at it as a receipt, the NFT is still better because you can still do stuff with it after the fact. And you can use it to log into a site. You can, you know, have art associated with it that changes or uh, you know, yeah. transfer we still kind of run, I feel, into this issue of centralization where you need some kind of authority figure still to tell you that this is the thing, whether it's like somebody in the real world or it's the blockchain itself. And there are many blockchains that you can mint NFTs on. Um, so that that to me is definitely something that I'm interested in uh, seeing where where we go from here, because the technology is already pretty cool. I think, and that it, that is just the functionality of having you know a, a piece of text that is a hyperlink or a smart contract or something. Well, but think about I mean, people lo- love to hate on OpenSea too, even within crypto, because um, of you know any number of reasons. Yep. But at the end of the day, they're very successful and they're making a lot of profit doing what they're doing, but people aren't wrong to critique all the things that they're still not doing. They could be doing a lot more. They're not like, what are financial NFTs going to look like? Have you looked at the Uniswap V3 stuff? Yeah. It's there, but is that how you interact with financial NFTs? Probably not long-term. So like there's still definitely lots of improvements that can be made. Maybe I just feel that the attitude should be more like, here are the things that we can improve, right? This is all bad. Just we don't need any of it. Right. But that, I mean, that's why I was mentioning electric cars. The critique of electric cars was that their range sucked. It took forever to charge them. They had no power. And that was, they were terrible. But you're like, okay, yes, these cars, maybe this version isn't like amazing. But it does like that ignored the fact that you can now have 
these relatively affordable electric cars that outperform hypercars with electric motors. So like there is there's like room for improvement to be sure, but just because there's problems with some of the current stuff doesn't mean that you shouldn't take it any further. Yeah. Uh, and I like I'm I'd love I'm, people move the technology okay. forward, you know? Right. And that's and like I part of the reason I'm saying that is because I'm actively working on things with people that haven't been done before. So it's not like people are out of ways to improve NFTs. Uh, so well NFTs and using NFTs to improve other processes, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that our ideas are good or will be successful, but um you're out there trying. You're yeah, doing something. that's that is sort of like that's what happens with a lot of new technology. So I don't know. And and again, like Phantom isn't using tons of electricity. It it is like again, you can critique proof of stake also mm -hmm. for various reasons. But like one of the things I cared more about was like, okay, I'd rather just not burn through tons of electricity to like mint stuff while I play around with experimental technology. And so Phantom's a good fit for that because it's uh it you know because it's proof of stake at the same time because it's really fast and uh, relatively cheap gas it also opens up opportunities to make things that feel more like a web application but yep. are backed by a decentralized yeah. ledger yep. so that's i mean that was why i started doing a lot of this stuff last spring was mostly because i've been making web apps for a really long time and i've been around crypto for a very long time and i've worked on Helped friends who many several of my friends have started well-known cryptocurrencies. I've helped them on it, but I never really got involved just because it was like not. I didn't feel like it was in a place where it was that usable that there was an opportunity for it to, you know, to start getting any sort of widespread adoption. And last spring was the first time I really kind of saw that happening. Right. Um, I still think there's like a long way to go but it's it is actually starting to happen where it's usable where you can use some of this stuff it's not um it's not done yet though because like, yeah. this can't or and if this is like the final iteration of it then i don't think it'll be successful long term um but ah well it's still be affordable when phantom is fine. i mean well so so the gap there's the amount of gas you spend is, or the amount of gas that you pay is the amount of work that's being done by the contract times the price. So when you think about phantom gas being several hundred way, that's not the case on Ethereum, even though you're paying more on Ethereum because the value of the token's higher. So if the value of phantom goes way up, the the cost of gas could also go way, way down. It doesn't have to scale with the price of the token. Right. Okay. This unit of this unit of gas costs less, and like right. the validators can agree that they'll keep doing the work for less for less phantom. And that's yep. basically what. So have you seen that play out? Because the token has had substantial gains in the last year. Like. Do you have a, a baseline for comparing oh, that? Because well, that'd be the validators are also so the validators are getting staking rewards now, which eventually run out, and then the only compensation for running a validator is fees. So some component of running all of this and staking your all of your phantom is to get fees from processing transactions. Um, so there is some it, like it's just it. These are there is no like magic to it. Mm -hmm. It comes down to economic principles of supply and demand and how much work the validators are willing to do for some amount of um some amount of gas right and and they if if they charge too much no one will do it and then they don't make any money and if they charge too little then the network gets congested and they can't keep up so the whole system is designed to find the balance between the supply and demand and like who's willing to pay more and that's where like the whole mev thing came in because nobody thought about it yep. uh, uh, one step further it was just like oh all they're always going to be ordered by who wants mm -hmm. to pay more for their transaction to go first and nobody really thought about like well what's in that transaction maybe it's actually the the 
economic advantage to me is to process one that someone's paying less for first because then that lets me do xyz right um, and that still fits within the way the system was designed it was just people were like oh wait we didn't think that the economic incentive might be outside of just the gas fees um and so that's that i mean that's how all to some extent all blockchains are constructed that way or, or cryptocurrency chains are right right um i also remember like one like common criticism i guess in general of not just of like blockchain technology in general is that it's basically just a technology in search of a solution i mean it's sort of technology search for a problem um and that it's not really practical in the real world like anything um you guys have any thoughts on that <laughs> I mean, so I'm an Ethereum fan, and I can definitely see the value in having a unique digital object. Like it's 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 like the right click meme, you know. You can have any number of copies of a digital object online as long as you can connect to the server and download it. But um, distinctiveness is something that is useful, and I think does have value. So. Um, and really, the same thing goes with Bitcoin, except that Bitcoin kind of doesn't do. I mean, it kind of does what Ethereum does now, I suppose. They've they've yeah, uh, built I think on Ethereum it. is turning into Bitcoin. It's because it's not like I don't see it being usable unless they're able to make some of the improvements that they're they're working. They're taking their sweet time. Well, and I mean, but it's hard, and so like you know, it is hard. We'll see. We'll see, and like this. To some extent, you're you already see more transactions on Phantom, so it's already able to do more work for a lot less, um, a lot less transaction fees, even yeah. though there's fewer users. So kind of, it in like all of this stuff needs more improvements. Um, I would say though that it's that's true and not true. I mean, like the. The system was originally designed with its intent to become like a digital currency and then using it as a state machine mm -hmm. um, in like a you know distributed computer along with a distributed ledger is relatively newer, but it's still like I, I I see advantages to being able to like participate in finance in ways that people aren't able to normally um because right. there's a lot of barriers to entry and so i do think some of the DeFi stuff once people play around with it um they see value there and then like nfts do tie to that because you can you know you can compose other assets behind nfts um, right right yeah like it doesn't it's not just art i also i think that a lot of this stuff like makes sense if you take out some of the problems, which I know is maybe just being optimistic about it. But um, if you're like, well, yeah, like nobody's going to want to use this in a game because who wants to pay X, Y, Z for transaction fees? Like, right. well, what if you figured out a way to make it so you didn't have to pay the transaction fees? Then would it be cool that you like actually like had this gold that from whatever game and could sell it on like these various marketplaces that have different implementations mm -hmm. of different things and whatever versus people still do this in other games now and but they have to like sell it within the ecosystem of the company that made it um so it does like open it up and make things possible for for some a company to go out of business and their front end to go down but like somebody else to make a front end for these contracts like I know a lot of this stuff is very That's often, an interesting idea. Oh, it like is just because it doesn't happen now doesn't mean that like it can't happen. Right. Um, right. I mean that's so. definitely an interesting idea right there. And that's certainly like a use case for like NFTs and games, which nobody really talks about and nobody really probably thought about. Is that yes, if the company yeah. goes down and their game's an NFT game and a lot of their um products are based on NFTs that you can like buy and sell. Yeah, you're right. Theoretically, another company could come along. Um, the codes, I mean, the code probably open. The code will be open source. So we'll it would have to be. They wouldn't have to be. If they centralized it, then yeah. it's all for nothing. But it doesn't have to be the same game. You could just right. agree that these things have value because people did them 
good whatever to, to acquire them and therefore you're going to implement them into some new game. Right, right. Yeah, we like, would have to have people agree on something. You don't because like the like I think the point the other point people keep missing is they're like you're not gonna and I'm gonna prove that I don't really play that many games, but like so maybe again this is where like I, I just don't see their point mm-hmm. of view. But like I think people are like, oh you wouldn't get a gun in you know Call of Duty and then use that same gun in in Halo, it doesn't even make sense in that game. That's true, but like that's again thinking of it as a JPEG that like this it always has to represent uh, the same gun. It's just a token. It could represent completely different things in different games. You could also unlock your car. Mm-hmm. Like whatever. <laughs> it's like you in like I know that like this it's not really happening now, but like you people can't like other people, third parties can like implement your your nft contract into their nft contract and allow people who have your nft to do things um so it's you know you can't have these these tokens get implemented into other systems and maybe it's a partnership or maybe it's like a third-party interface or whatever but like there is opportunity for some of that stuff to um keep evolving that i think will make it more resilient Mm-hmm. See, that's something I never would have thought of, but you thought of it because you were thinking about ways of improving the technology rather than, uh, you know. I mean, I'm not going to take that much credit. Everything that is, is terrible. That's part of the, like, idea behind a smart contract is that, like, it yep. can't be shut down. Is that, it, you know, it's there and that as long as you have, if, if you're able to interact with the the contract, then, like, no one can shut it down. And part of the, I mean, I've been talking about some of this for a really long time because we were trying to build like blockchain marketplaces and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff that didn't really make sense. And um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, this is another thing that's interesting to me. It's in 2017, 2018, we were trying to figure out like how to get all of this data onto a proof of work blockchain mm-hmm. and you know, have it scale and be performant and cost effective and all that stuff. And the conclusion was that it just really wasn't going to work. Right. And we found some cool like math and stuff that like seemed like it was promising, but like it just didn't really, it wasn't going to work. And, you know, I, we, we implemented other cool stuff that we came up with mm-hmm. and like eventually went on, worked on some other projects. And now like, like literally right now, this proof of work blockchain is now implementing it has an EVM and like with the um, Starkware open sourcing, there's uh, zero knowledge proofs. Um, like a lot of projects are planning to implement zk rollups into their their infrastructure to make very you know very scalable high performance off like L2, so not like on the main chain all the like necessarily, but that's right. sort of the architecture that we thought of right. that we wanted to design in 2018 for syscoin and then just did what the math and stuff wasn't there but now it is and so now that's what's getting implemented into some of these chains because like it actually it, it's like the the math and the implementations of the math have caught up to be performant enough to be able to implement them into some of this stuff so that you know maybe you will be able to scale um an actual mm-hmm. market because it's going to be, you know, on, on its own infrastructure, and then it gets consolidated into a rollup, and then that gets tied back into a main chain, and that's that's where like this whole like sort of yeah. multi-chain L1, L2, mm-hmm. all of the infrastructure way it's all put together and stuff is all changing, and people have their different opinions of like Bitcoin will always be the standard, and then this will be this, and then there'll be that, like, but who really knows? And that was why for a long time I was also sort of hesitant to pick one blockchain or another to work mm-hmm. on because like I don't know like a lot of them have cool ideas and technologies and it's hard to predict which one actually takes off or fails for some unforeseen yeah it's extremely difficult I mean Michael Saylor likes to talk about how like if you picked a company a hundred years ago to hold for a hundred years none, they, none of them would be around and uh, that's kind of the same thing that happens 
on a shorter time frame with like all of the companies that actually exist and become public and are traded. You know, a lot of them are just not going to be Facebooks and Googles and that. So, and seeing which ones are is very difficult. Right. Right. And there's a no shortage of ones to choose from. Yeah, I mean, every, everything is in, in any new anything new. You're bound to have failures, mm-hmm. and you're bound to have people in any sort of hype or bull market. However, you want to interpret that, you're going to have people scamming other people, especially when you're dealing with technology that's complex. And then I think, in some ways, purposefully complex. Um. That makes it like kind of hard for people to get involved with, yeah. and then there is the whole like crypto subculture and lingo, and you know it's it is sort of like a whole it's still like a whole weird thing a little bit, but I think over time it does start evolving and becomes more mainstream and becomes easier to like onboard or maybe like there is just a digital currency that we all start using. I like during I've been using. I realized. When I got cash not that long ago, there was a <laughs> I had cash in like, and it was like a, I was trying to close a bank account and they said mm-hmm. that I owed them money for something. And I was like, well, how can I pay you? Do we take any of these like credit cards or any of these things that are like, no, we'll only take cash. And I was oh, like, man. how do I do that? And they were like, do you have another bank? So I went to their ATM and took money out of a different bank and then took that money to them to close it. But that was like the, the only time that I had touched cash in like a really long time. And it was kind of ironic that I took it from one digital machine to give to somebody else to put back into the digital <laughs> Right, right. Like 20 feet away. But, um, but, you know, I can see, I could, I can see credit cards eventually going away and being replaced with other forms of digital payments. And I mean, that's another thing that was interesting to me about Phantom. And like, I had sort of not been paying attention as much, um, because of some other projects I was working on for a while and hadn't really seen, like the only stable coin I was really aware of for a while was Tether mm-hmm. and didn't, didn't realize how um, some of the other ones had become so prevalent. And like USDC, for example, is really interesting to me because yeah. like it really seems to like open up the opportunities to one bridge I'm, I'm realizing more now, but also it just is a payment system for contractors. Like that's just, you know, that's what people who are doing Web3 work want to get mm-hmm. paid in USDC. Right. Um, and, like, the, the idea of a fast transaction for a stable coin as a payment system, um, we're able, like, thinking about removing some of the volatility of crypto um, while still taking advantage of some of the technology that's basically what you're doing. So, like, I think there's lots of people who are interested in that. And, you know, for all the, and I know that all this is anecdotal, but for all the people who are like hating on all this stuff, there's like also plenty of people who approach me who are like interested in no little or not that much. And they've heard bad things and good things. So I think it, it, it's easy to like focus on people who are like making a, a lot of noise about how something's terrible and a scam. Um, but, right. Right. you know, that's, Again, I think that also ignores like the the bigger picture. Right. Um, I feel like a lot of the um, crypto, I guess, skeptics don't really quite understand like stable coins. Um, they kind of don't really understand like what they're used for. They tend to view it as being used just to like avoid taxes um, and like laundering schemes. Well, I mean that could be true for the issuers, but like most, I guess, people are using stable coins. In the marketplace, like right now, are like the users themselves, like who are buying crypto. They might use it for like tax avoidance. Um, uh, they... I mean, it's not in like a mean way, but I, I honestly think that it's easier to like hate on something than to yeah. admit you don't understand it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the way I see stable coins right now, you use them for two things. One, you want to have stable farming. Um, so basically, you just want to be able to like create like a pair of, let's say, two stablecoin assets like USDC and like DAI. And you just put them in like a farm and then you get like a guaranteed return out of it. Like you know what you're getting, you know what you're putting in. It's like a perfectly functioning program. It's like a perfectly functional program. Like exactly what you want to see. Um, right. Yeah. And, that, when that's, and this is the example of the smart contract that no one can mess with, that people can trust because like people that you trust have looked it over and it's been used a bunch. 
And if the front end goes down, like probably someone else could put up another front yep. end to interface with it. Um, yep. But that is one project out of how many projects on how many chains. And like, so yes, the good projects are probably the minority. Or, I mean, the very like in any system, if you have a bunch of projects, the top ten projects are the minority because there are only ten of them. Right. Um, but like, they still represent a lot of value, and there might be some like small ones that are really cool that will eventually get big. This is all just a, a version of capitalism and yep. starting businesses yep. and doing yep. new ideas and all that stuff in a different way. Yep. And I feel like the other more important use of stablecoins, this is actually probably like the big key, um, I think, which is something that a lot of crypto skeptics haven't touched on at all because I don't think they really understand it. And I also think it's because they're based in the United States. They don't, they don't really see this. Um, use stablecoins for lending. Borrowing. It's really the best tool to use in crypto for lending and borrowing. If you want to borrow some assets, if you want to borrow some currency, or if you want to like lend it out to other people and get some interest on it, you do it in a stablecoin because it's the best way to avoid getting liquidated. Mm hmm. But and this is the like I feel like this is the even people who are like maxis about a particular chain and still use stablecoins on those chains are yep. like. Talk about how terrible fiat, but then is, but then still use USDC for exactly. stuff. Um, there, like we we have existing financial systems and and uh, you know monetary systems, and you you it's very unrealistic to say that we're just going to be like, hey guys, next Wednesday we're flipping over. Like I don't think that could really happen. So it is there is going to be like for a lot of this stuff. I think there is it's. I don't know that anyone really knows where it's going to end up, but right. you're ending up where I see it going right now is that you're coming up with like these different transfers of value that are in some ways tied to existing monetary systems because that's like a necessary step for um, getting people on board or, you know, like some people aren't going to become, some people want lots of volatility. Mm -hmm. Some people really don't want a lot of volatility. And so if you are running, you know, a brick and mortar store and you want, you really don't like that you're paying, you know, however much in credit card fees, but, um, you know, you'd really prefer to do all this stuff in crypto, but like you can't risk, your margins are pretty slim and you can't risk the volatility of crypto if you're paying for things in fiat, which is sort of goes yeah. back to the other thing I was talking about. It's like, you can't buy your, the, your supply chain isn't accepting crypto. So like you're not buying your goods with crypto. So you're paying fiat. So if you're accepting crypto, now you're risking the volatility. Part of what stable coins do in that situation is remove some of the volatility of accepting crypto as a payment system so that you can take advantage of all the things that comes along with that um, while maybe not necessarily needing your suppliers to to switch over, but then as they start switching over, um, you know, that whole that whole process becomes streamlined and you're not paying people to transfer money around. Like that like I, I have a an event ticketing mm -hmm. business also that is interesting. Hundred percent not crypto. <laughs> Fifty percent of our revenue goes to Stripe. Oh man, that's awful. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Uh, but that's like they provide nice APIs and right. They handle all the bank account stuff and so on and so forth. But like the main advantage is that people have credit cards and it makes it easy for people to input a credit card. Um, if that wasn't the case, like there's obviously like lots of advantages to not having to go through other people to, to do the transfer. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's lots of like things that are not realistic yet because the technology is not quite there, but is at like, it is there for some of this stuff. Like you actually could use, like you could use Phantom for some of this stuff, and it would end up being cheaper to accept some of the, the you know, it could be worth it for some businesses to do it instead of paying um, credit card fees if their customers had the crypto, which right. is you know that's sort of the problem. Like distribution is a problem, and onboarding is a problem. And right. but again, like that's. It was. It's less of a problem now than it was six months ago, or a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago. So it's not yeah. super fast, but yeah, that's uh, definitely true. 
Um, no, we're getting there. It's maturing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think on that note, we should probably, um, I guess, do like our final comments because we're definitely like running. Let's see. Yeah, we're definitely running out like about an hour. <laughs> I can keep talking forever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great, uh, but you probably need to go and do your other things, you know, figure out uh, solidly, you know, save Andre yep. again. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing your perspective. Uh, Learn some new things, and it's very interesting to hear kind of where the rubber hits the road perspective. Right, right. And definitely, like you, I mean, Justin, you got some great ideas, and I'm sure I'm going to see them like executed like pretty soon. And looking forward to it. I hope so. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Um, I'd like to do it again sometime if you ever yep. want to chat about anything else. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a, I feel like I'm a healthy skeptic, but I also kind of uh, am optimistic about where some of this stuff is going to go. So I'm me a, too. I'm a <laughs> the road kind of person. So yep, yep, exactly. <laughs>